we need to stop believing that doing the right thing is expensive or is going to cut into your profits or doing the right thing on the global scale is always going to make you more wealthy and so i think that that's true in any part of your life and i'd say relationship is the one area that we most make a mistake in about this is we don't value relationship for what it's really capable of doing and so we have very surfacey relationships and you know we're not trained into sacred holy relationship at every, any level friendship marriage we we take these very surfacey versions of it and so i think it's time for us when we start thinking about sacred commerce to put in maybe the word sacred value again you know just like let's put sacred value back into everything that's Zach Bush, MD, and this is episode 430 of the Wellness Force Podcast. Wellness Force Radio, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. How can we bring awareness and reverence to all the little mundane elements of our life and begin from that platform of sacred relationship to the self to begin to orient towards others in that same way? If you felt bad with the last millionth of a second, well, let go of the things that were making you feel bad that millionth of a second and be new right this millionth of a second. If you really want to take guidance from your soul, you have to be ready to realize that many of the things that you're asking for guidance on, your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in. Ayurvedic medicine, as well as all the ancient and contemporary masters in health and wellness have taught us for centuries about the powerful benefits of apple cider vinegar. But what do we do when we want to take the ACV, but we don't want to expose our teeth to acids? Most people don't know this, but apple cider vinegar is an acid and prolonged exposure to acids can damage your teeth. So how do we get in the brain boosting, blood sugar stabilization, stamina, focused energy and healing powers of this ACV without ruining the enamel on our teeth? This is where it gets easy with our partner, Paleo Valley, creators of the apple cider vinegar complex taken easily in tablet form without busting your tooth enamel. Paleo Valley created the ACV complex to meet getting organic apple cider vinegar into your body easy, fast, and without having to tolerate the taste. You know, that kind of like, <laughs> have you ever done a shot of apple cider vinegar? I know a lot of people that literally just can't handle the taste. So this is all your organic turmeric ginger, Ceylon cinnamon, and lemon on top of the organic apple cider vinegar combined with these superfoods. It's nature's way of saying you're welcome. ACV can stabilize blood sugar, promote weight loss, and improve protein absorption and digestion, as well as the big one, stopping heartburn symptoms. Heartburn symptoms are typically caused by too little stomach acid, not really too much. This apple cider vinegar complex makes getting this organic ACV into your body fast and easy and without having to choke on the taste of normal ACV. You can do this. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash paleo valley. Use the code Josh and get 15% off your apple cider vinegar complex. That's wellnessforce.com forward slash paleo valley. Use the code Josh to get 15% off your ACV complex. Hey, it's Josh Trent. This is Wellness Force, where we and you discover physical and emotional intelligence so you can live your life well and thrive. Make sure you tap the subscribe button where you're listening to make sure you never miss any free episodes delivered every single week, sometimes twice a week, actually. I have a question for you. Do you want to have a trusted scientific and spiritual-based path to reset, refresh, and renew your own personal wellness and be coached by me inside of our tribe? 
the Wellness Force Global Collective. If you resonate with that, if that's a yes, just head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. So you can take a deep breath with the M21 Wellness Guide. It's powerful. It's 21 minutes. There's six practices that I pulled from almost 500 interviews, breath work being one of them. And it's yours for free, wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. And as we embark upon a new horizon, a new year, a brand new year, can you believe? It's 2022. (laughs) I'm like, how is there that many twos? I wrote down 2021 for a while. I was like just getting used to that. But check in, check in with your heart and soul. What do you feel is possible this year for your mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, and financial wellness? When you think about these possibilities, do you feel contraction and tension in your body or do you feel peace, excitement, expansion? Look, whatever you feel, this episode will be one of those rare gems that you can come back to and listen to multiple times that will help be your guidepost as you navigate the challenges and the successes of this year. I promise you that by the end of this episode, you will understand what sacred commerce and community actually means and how you can thrive in this new year. For the third time, world-renowned speaker, creator of multiple companies that serve the world and our health, a physician who specializes in internal medicine, endocrinology, and hospice care, who's an internationally recognized educator and thought leader on the microbiome as it relates to health, disease, and food systems, we have for his return to Wellness Force, the one and only Zach Bush, MD. Now, this episode is profound. I've literally been chomping at the bit waiting for you to hear from Zach again. Our previous podcasts have been viewed almost 2 million times collectively online. And in this episode, Zach Bush MD will teach us about the corruption within our modern food system and what you personally can do about it. We'll talk about natural law, coming to terms with our values, making commerce sacred again what it means to be part of a true conscious capitalism movement that actually serves the world, why we must remove ourselves from the thought paradigm of winning and losing. You know, like, I can only win if you lose. It's just simply not true. Zach unpacks this for us. We'll talk about how we can all get paid and have wealth by choosing to do the right thing. Zach talks to us about surrender, true surrender, what it means to use the power of silence and accept what higher intelligence is asking us to do. We'll explore isolation and censorship and how this relates to cancer, by the way, what happens when cells stop communicating to each other and what happens when we stop communicating to each other. And in a world of cancel culture, how do we speak our truth and learn to listen to one another again? Zach shares about the extraordinary journey of human history and our collective enlightenment and how we can really let go of the feelings of shame and not being good enough. And for one of the first times I've ever experienced on a podcast, Zach guides us through a beautiful, powerful meditation live here on the podcast that will touch you in a very deep way. Make sure if you're driving, pull over and be safe while you meditate, because this is how we build community on a grander scale. We have to stop getting out of constant mental loops and have the courage to bring community back into our lives. This podcast will go down as one of the all-time greats, and it's a true honor to be able to sit with Zach Bush, MD. He's one of those speakers that, you know, he can't always be complimented with words. You simply have to hear and feel what he's sharing. And you will leave this podcast a different person. I'm grateful for you being with us here in the Wellness Force Global Collective. You know, this definition of true community, it's something that we teach in all of our programs over at wellnessforce.com forward slash programs. Whether it's our Breathe, Breath and Wellness, 21 Day Journey, 
the Wellness Force Global Collective, or even Freedom Accelerator Mentorship. Every single program at wellnessforce.com forward slash programs is in alignment with the teachings that Zach Bush MD is going to share today. So no further waiting. Let's tune in with Zach Bush MD. Zach, welcome to my home. Welcome to Austin. I'm glad to be here with you. It's just a joy to see your family settling in here. Yeah, you got to meet my son Nova today. What an enormous smile that kid has. I love it. I flash back to a moment we had in Cardiff, and you were like, hey, the next time we hang out, I'll, I'll hang out with your family, I'll hang out with your son, and like, here we are. It's wild, man, uh, what's been going on with, uh, with our community, our global community. And also commerce. And this is from my heart today. You know, I, I, as you know, I did a vision quest this year. It was 100 hours fasting in nature. Zach, no food, no fire, just water. And I had so many profound revelations, one of them being some learnings that, that I actually learned from you. And it was about commerce and how human beings, we consume so much we are literally just eating the earth and we're not giving as much back as we're taking. And I'm curious as a jumping off point, how do you even see commerce? You know, what is, what does commerce mean to Zach Bush to be in sacred commerce? I think of Charles Eisenstein's work and the Mm -hmm. gifting economy. And I don't know if I fully agree with the gifting economy, maybe in a perfect world, Mm -hmm. but, but as you sit here today with us, you know, what is, what is sacred commerce, sacred economy mean to you? What is that? I think for me, I would go straight to what is value, you know, what what is our value system that we could share in a sacred community? And that value system for me has to be reintegrated into natural systems. And if we don't do that, we will continue to extract, destruct, and ultimately, you know, accelerate this sixth existential crisis that we have on the planet called extinction. And so the process of re-evaluating value in our lives is really asking for a realignment of philosophy in which we kind of get rid of the schism between the concept of scarcity and need in our lives and a recognition of the abundance and the creativity of nature itself. And a good example of this is anytime you go into an indigenous, you know, group that's been living in its natural system for any tens of thousands of years. Recently, it was down in Ecuador with the, the Achuar tribe, 40,000 years in the sacred headwaters of the Amazon on the border of Peru and, and Ecuador. And, you know, they don't have any storage in their kitchens. That's just a fire pit. And every morning they walk out into the jungle and they collect what they're going to prepare that day. And they share this incredibly beautiful social experience throughout the day of food preparation. And, you know, the men are, you know, carrying back armloads of hearts of palm that are, you know, shredded into these tea leaves and baked over the fire for breakfast. And these grubs that they boil or or, uh, steam in the, in the tea leaves with the, and it's just like unbelievable that it hasn't dawned on them in 40,000 years to need to store anything because they know the forest is going to continue to provide. And so that is a reminder of where we come from. And then we can take a look at modern society where in our typical household, we don't have more than a few days of, of safe food supply, you know? Yeah. And cities are now in that entire situation. Cities all over the world are now islands unto themselves. Hawaii is famous for only having a seven day food supply. If the ships stop coming in, they import 95% of their food, which is bizarre because the million inhabitants that were there when, you know, Captain Cook showed up there 
they were completely autonomous in their food industry. They had fish ponds and incredible agriculture developed, and they were totally autonomous with a million inhabitants. There's still about a million people on Oahu today, and yet importing 90, 98% of their food. So we've done that to an area or an island that just 100 years ago was thriving in, in autonomy, and we've taken that away through this sense of scarcity that happens when you believe in dominion and ownership. And so when we start to think about value systems, we need to go back to, are we in a state of scarcity and abundance? And then what are we really valuing here? Are we valuing life behind something that we're consuming? Is that the food we're eating? Are we going to start to eat more conscientiously? Mm -hmm. Or are we going to keep eating things that are wrapped in cellophane, multi, you know, seven layer weird materials of plastics and metals and, tearing open bars and or are we going to start to really have reverence for fruit and vegetables and you know the animals that we kill are we going to start to have reverence again for this consumerism in our food system are we going to start to have reverence for the humans that are involved in the human capital that is really slave labor for thousands of years producing food all over the world and we remain in this slave labor type mentality around farmers. Farmers of all ilks are just barely making it right now and they're highly dependent on you know, labor that's being paid, you know, migrant farm workers, all this at, at below legal wages. And so we've managed to perpetuate in something as simple as our food consumerism, a extreme version of dominion and colonialism and abuse of human capital as well as natural capital. And so it's a good example of how we have corrupted any sense of value within a system. And then if you go on beyond that and start to look at any other area of consumerism, it's easy to see, wow, we really took nature out of these things. Mm -hmm. And what we're valuing in there is some sort of oxytocin dopamine surge that we're getting from the joy of buying something. You know? I feel like when capitalism started, it had a different energy than it has now. Like everything, I feel like water can get polluted so easy and so can capitalism. So I'm not anti-capitalism. I'm pro-conscious capitalism. Do you, do you consider yourself to be a conscious capitalist? Yeah, I've participated in, in that group's events and stuff like that. So, you know, if, if you mean aligning myself with conscious capitalism as an yeah. organization. I don't mean just John Mackey yeah. or his book, but I mean just the essence of capitalism through a conscious lens. Yeah, I, I think I am that. I think, you know, I align very well with objectivism, um, working on kind of a new branch of philosophical thought around sociopolitics right now with a bunch of colleagues. And it certainly, you know, aligns strongly with some of that original work of Ayn Rand and then Nathaniel Brandon, who really, I think, advanced it in important directions. And then coming out of that kind of Atlas-shrugged world, you know, we can see where it went wrong probably was that it, it saw technology as the solution, really, and ingenuity was the critical, you know, element of capitalism in her mind. And I think that that remains accurate, but where we went wrong if we did as we took nature's template out of this and we were w willing to just let technology itself go unchecked as to its value system mm. and so as we think about a natural version of this you know sociopolitical philosophy integrating natural law back into it really creates a different tune different tone to it and i'm excited by it because it it helps, you know, reevaluate some of the founding documents of our country. You know, our founding documents are 
unfortunately very patriarchal, very colonialist, you know, very subject to uh, separation between nature and God is the preamble to our own Declaration of Independence that separates God from nature, which is almost insane to think that they were able to write that into a document. Yeah. Um, but even more insane that we've spent 250 years not rewriting that shit. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. why are we accepting this document as truth at this point? Like, it was a work in progress. Those guys, you know, scrambled this together. And I grew up looking at those documents by, you know, some fortune of my, my lineage. But my grandmother was the head of public relations for the Library of Congress. And so when I was a kid growing up in hippie Boulder, Colorado, she would fly me out. Um, at 13, she flew me out alone. And, but before that, my family would drive out every summer in our, our station wagon and drive out to DC. And, uh, I remember at a very early age, but then definitely at that 13, she would take me to the original, you know, copy of the Declaration of Independence and, uh, the original copy of the constitution. And the thing that's most obvious is there's scribbles and scratches and crossed out words all over the place. They were updating it in real time. In real time. Yeah, and we like, haven't updated it once. They they had to get that thing done because we were about to go to war with Britain. <laughs> and so to think that they've had time to finish that thing is ludicrous. Like mm. it's a complete misperception that somehow that was a, a finished symphony. No, it was, it was the beginning of a symphony that we forgot to continue. And so uh, the results of the consumerism that we see today, the, the collapse of the quality of capitalism, the, the you know, corruption of capitalism that's led to the instability of our country, the continued abuses of you know, African-Americans in this country, uh, the stealing of lands from First Nations, the stealing of lands and raping and pillaging of you know, the Mexicans that we took half their country away from them. Like, you know, it's just we have been one atrocity after another in this country because we are working by documents that justified it through a God that was separated from nature. Mm. And I think that that's, if we start to think about sacred capitalism, if there is such a thing, uh, we're going to have to come to terms with the fact that we got to finish these documents. We got to clean this thing up and we got to start moving towards a, a more holistic approach where nature's back in we need natural law to be back into this country and move that direction when you say natural law um what exactly does that mean are you talking about just mimicking the behaviors of nature and putting those into us because we are nature what do you mean by natural law mm -hmm. yeah in some ways it's as simple as that but uh the first nations people of the united states area north america in general um had developed a massively effective form of governance that was managing huge populations throughout this. And so over 500 different tribes that were organized and, you know, certainly constantly skirmishing in wars often throughout those small regions. But there was a, you know, thousands of years of, of stability in those tribes with their nature, you know. And so we saw this great system of governance that may have been recent document I read was guessing that there may have been as many as a hundred million first nations peoples throughout North America at that time, you know, when you know, looking at the late 1700s, something like that. So if that, if those numbers are even close to accurate, that's a spectacular accomplishment. And the Iroquois were the ones that really, you know, trained Jefferson, uh, Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, all these th people that we now probably erroneously referred to the founding fathers and things like this, but the, it was really the Iroquois that helped write 
you know, all of the salient points of the Declaration of Independence because of their concept of natural law. We the people, mm. you know, see these inalienable rights. That's all natural law. And you, what you can see is that that natural law was immediately usurped by the preamble to that sentence, which is a paragraph saying that while we recognize natural law, basically, there's also a God that's separate from that and is an equally important force, and we we can we can supersede natural law with God if needed. Mm-hmm. And so we did that, saying our God is more important than, or we're, we're more enlightened than yours, and so we can kill you. You know, we can take all of your land, whatever, because the yeah yeah natural law, but God is you know supersedes that. Yeah, you know, and so by this manifest destiny kind of belief system of the time we allowed this document and our nation to become you know one of the most gruesome you know empires to ever unfold and anybody who's enjoying wealth today is enjoying the consequences of all of that abuse stolen land yeah slave labor uh the abuses of millions of Africans stolen from their land, shipped here, abused for generations. Uh, we we are, if you drive around in a car on a paved road and live in an air-conditioned house in the United States of America, you're benefiting from that. And yeah. that includes anybody from any walk of life. You're benefiting from the abuse. And so, you know, if you're African-American or you're Hispanic or whatever it is, there's this bizarre reality that the, the wealth that we move in in this country is blood money you know and we have to reconcile that or the empire collapses as it is today because we're not coming to terms with these deep you know schisms in our philosophy and lack of value systems i'm coming to terms with them when i was in the forest in idaho tim kukorin who aubrey introduced me to him and uh it was the most powerful thing no drugs needed i mean just being in nature no fire just water water and a tarp and a, and a pad and I thought about you, I thought about all the people that I've interviewed, and it was this burning question that's taken me six months to ask you. And it was, how do we manage the dichotomy between people that are suffering financially but need help with their health versus how do we make a profit as a health company or an organization and actually take that money, bring it back to the company so we can serve more, mm-hmm. right? Because it is, it's, a, it's an organic cycle. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of responsibility and it takes a lot of heart in order to do that. So how do you do that? That was what I was thinking in the forest. Mm-hmm. Like we're consuming so much, like we're fucking killing ourselves. We're killing the planet. How do we find the middle? Where, where's Lao Tzu's middle road here? How do you operate your companies like that? Yeah. I, I come from an angle of endocrinology just because I was trained in it. But endocrinology is a study of basically the hormone systems and the, the cycles of communication in the human body that coordinate 70 trillion human cells with 1.4 quadrillion bacteria with 14 quadrillion mitochondria inside of us and so there's somebody's googling quadrillion right now (laughs) it's a a thousand trillion and so when you start to think about a thousand trillion that's you you would spend eons counting to a quadrillion like it's such a vast number and yet there's 14 quadrillion you know microbes that are called mitochondria within you that are swapping genetic information across your your genetics that you receive from mom and dad every day. There's this incredible plasticity between the genetics of the mitochondria and and you. And so who you are today is being coordinated by this extraordinary cycle of communication and all of these endocrine loops of cycles to make sure that everything is coordinated. And so 
in a company like ours, we've done this by creating a parent company that is a flow-through corporation. Uh, so we have all these uh, LLCs that are built below the C-Corp, and the LLCs function as uh, R&D spaces. And so we can we file a single you know, uh, tax form for all of our subsidiaries because they're all 100% owned by the parent. They flow back up into it. And so we're able to take any monies being you know, that are creating profit anywhere in the system and pump it back down into the the creative process for root cause solutions for other things. So a good example of this is the issue of, of, you know, the farming stuff. So we really, our first really successful product was Ion and we were using, you know, 60 million year old soil because we don't have soil on the planet right now that can produce this kind of intelligence between the bacteria and microbes that existed previously and so we knew we needed to, to begin the process of reinventing soil on the planet so that we're not you know, relying on supplements for getting these critical nutrients back into humans. Uh, humans have never seen these nutrients. We've only been here 200,000 years as Homo sapiens sapiens, as you know, Homo erectus, maybe 12 million years. And so we don't know 60 million year old soil. And so when somebody starts taking these these supplements, they're literally experiencing an intelligence of you know nature that has not occurred in human history. And what we see happening with that supplement line is people doing biologic and psychosocial, psychospiritual transformations that we could have never predicted because we were thinking biologically about the compounds. But it's not surprising that our psychospiritual sense of self is keyed into the entire ecosystem within us if we're the if we're 0.1% ultimately of the life within us you know then it must be the life within us that would actually define you know who we actually are and what our level of enlightened consciousness might be so we needed to recreate soil so we took our profits and start building the big nonprofit which is called Project Biome uh, it's got focuses in soil water and air systems our first project was farmers footprint we launched that with a film in February of 2018 um yeah i think that's right and uh we immediately kind of hit gold on that we were recognized all over the world by not not only consumers and farmers but also by organizations that have been working in soil systems forever we just happen to be able to very directly connect human health with soil health for the first time with our science and so now we're really focused on, you know, can we create a world where we don't have 97% of our arable soils depleted or severely depleted instead? Can they become the Garden of Eden that would produce mm -hmm. a level of intelligence over the next couple hundred years that would bring humanity to its next you know, potential density of light energy? And so that's a regenerative, you know, organization. As we worked through that, we realized we needed really large for-profit capital to be moved through those systems. And so we started Biome Capital Partners, which is a big uh, impact investment vehicle. And that that big vehicle is now taking 18 years, uh, 18 months to get off the ground. But we have one of the most talented, you know, financial expert uh, teams in the world that have taken early retirement from long careers in extraordinary spaces to come and join a group that has zero dollars in the they bank. They resonate you know? deeply with your mission, so. They are the mission. Like, yeah. they've known their whole life that they were going to do this, not having seen what it was going to be. And as soon as we showed them the, the opportunity, they jumped. And so they are now, you know, putting together what, what I think will be one of the most exciting, you know, mechanisms for accelerating regenerative, you know, agriculture. You know, and then we're working on 
many other layers behind this to, to start accelerating the ways in which we realign soil values and real assets within soil systems to monetary systems. And so that's one example. Another example, though, is the plastics. And so, um, you know, every product on the planet now is so plastic heavy in its consumerism. And uh, we knew that we were participating in that because we had plastic bottles and all of this, and we couldn't use glass well for a number of different reasons. And so um, we started channeling any additional profits into a new subsidiary called Resource Dynamics, and we've been working for six years to build a full-scale plant, which finishes in February. Uh, but we've been building a 40-foot mitochondria that digests any long-chain carbon uh, into biodiesel and biofuels. How do you deploy a 40-foot mitochondria? How do you do that? Uh, well, it, was, it took, uh, you know, basically re-engineering some existing, you know, concepts around carbon metabolism. And so use thermal processing techniques to break down long carbon chains, which is exactly what a mitochondria does. So mitochondria will take a uh, long carbon chain of carbohydrate like glucose or a fatty acid. And this whole low-carb, low-fat stuff is not biologically relevant like the the mitochondria take both of those and in a single enzymatic step to turn it to acetyl coa you know and so fat sugar all becomes acetyl coa the, the instant it enters the mitochondria to then go into the fuel production process those long carbon chains of the fatty acid or or sugar that's now acetyl coa that those carbons are split off and co2 is ultimately released through the respiratory process in the mitochondria but the light energy that was made by the sun contacting chlorophyll that turned CO2 into long-chain carbohydrates and fatty acids in plants is now reversed in our bodies when we eat. And so we release this huge abundance of light energy in the mitochondria. It's thought that you know a cubic centimeter of mitochondria, which is pretty much a cubic center of tissue because each cell has over 200 mitochondria. A neuron has 2,000 mitochondria in the, in the axonal body. And so you have this massive amount of you know energy production sunshine release in any cubic centimeter of tissue and it's thought those mitochondria are about 10,000 times more efficient than the sun, a cubic centimeter of the sun and so there's so much efficiency in carbon release mm. and we're sitting here with all these waste streams with spare tires and um, you know, plastics all over the world and a massive amount of agricultural waste bagasse being the biggest one around the world which is sugarcane and it just off gases methane for 30 years and you know pollutes the atmosphere hemp cane is now second biggest problem behind sugarcane and it is producing a massive amount of methane out of california and oregon and colorado and so there's an opportunity for us to put these units you know alongside all of these stockpiles globally to start cleaning up the mess and it's a great example of how sacred commerce can happen because basically what you've said is, look, we're going to rec recognize the sovereignty of carbon itself. We're going to stop calling it waste. We're going to stop trying to bury it under the you know ocean or in landfills or whatever it is. And we're going to start to put a value on that because there's so much potential energy in it. And so we're, you know, our single a single unit can process 50 tons a day of material. So it's an extraordinary speed at which you're digesting massive amounts of energy. And the efficiency of the system is all done under a vacuum and all this. So there, it's a very exciting process to watch it unfold. So as, as we start scaling in 2022 with very large you know, private equity and everything else going coming in to help us accelerate globally, we have this opportunity to you know, witness the 
financial opportunities that lie in doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we need to stop believing that doing the right thing is, you know, expensive or is going to cut into your profits or doing the right thing on the global scale is always going to make you more wealthy. And so I think that that's true in any part of your life. And I'd say relationship is the one area that we most make a mistake in about this is we don't value relationship for what it's really capable of doing. Mm. And so we have very surfacey relationships Mm -hmm. and, you know, we're not trained into sacred, holy relationship at any level, friendship, marriage. We, we take these very surfacey versions of it. And so I think it's, time for us when we start thinking about sacred commerce to put in maybe the word sacred value again, you know, mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. let's put sacred value back into everything. Everything's sacred. We just forget. And I, I feel like we do it on purpose. You know, our souls come into this world. You incarnated as Zach Bush. There'll never be another Zach Bush. It's beautiful. Yet mm-hmm. the load that Damn you, good thing. <laughs> <laughs> the load that you're carrying, like you're human. You're fallible. Like, yes, you have an incredible work ethic. You're doing so much good for the world. Like you're helping to heal this circle of making commerce sacred again. But like, how do you handle it, man? How do you carry that load? What are some ways that you integrate the strength in order to carry the load of all these things that you're doing? Because it's incredible. I, I mean, I, I can't carry anything. <laughs> <laughs> so you just hire people to carry it with you. No, I don't think any of us carry it. Um, when you're in sacred sacred commerce as you've called it there when you're in a sacred mission uh there's there's literally higher energy carrying the mission providing for the mission making the mission work um you know if you believe in god we we can simply just call it god if you Mm -hmm. believe in extraterrestrials you can call it aliens whatever you want but there's a higher intelligence than humans in the universe and if you haven't found that out in your life, you've got a lot to look forward to because it's freaking beautiful. But uh, so none of us, uh, I, I make sure that nobody in our organizations have any sense of ownership over anything. Uh, we have to have our hands wide open and allow the, the universe to play through us. Uh, we, you know, and there was a long period of time where I thought, you know, I had been given this vision for all of this in 2010. And it was, I had never started a company. I was still working at the University of Virginia in my cancer lab. And um, I was very depressed and lonely and isolated in academia. I'd been, you know, started in my academic journey 17 years before that. And mm. So I'd been a long time through the whole pre-med and medical training and all my subspecialties. And then being on faculty was the most depressing thing ever because you're suddenly, you know, no longer in a group of residents who are working hundred hours a week together in this intense camaraderie. Instead, you're just like at the very bottom of a rung of a 40 year journey through a politically unpleasant and uncaring system of academia. Mm. And so I was very depressed and just calling out the universe for a different path, you know, and, and asked to be at the time a living sacrifice was the word that came. And, um, this huge vision of what would become Seraphic Group and all of that that I, I work through today came through, and um, I didn't know what to make of it. I was overwhelmed. It was beautiful. I was I've never had an experience where I was just receiving information. Were you in meditation or prayer? Did it was it cumulative or did no, it come no, to you all at once? I didn't have a clue about any of that. I was literally just like a freaking cancer researcher, and I was. I was in probably the lowest energy spot you could be in the world. So I was in this building in the 19, built in the 1960s on the campus of the University of Virginia. It's a beautiful campus. You know, it was built by Thomas Jefferson. It has all that kind of 
you know, founding fathers BS kind of going around all over the place. But, uh, you know, so you have this like kind of elite, you know, feeling to the whole experience. And yet there's this loneliness and emptiness within it all. And so I was in a much lower space than even that because in this old beat up, you know, building and my, my little tiny office had like enough room to like walk to my desk chair and pull it out two feet and then sit down. And, um, I was surrounded by, you know, six huge freezers, uh, that held thousands of tumor specimens. And so I literally was surrounded by death of cancer. Um, and so I don't think I can imagine a much less spiritually yeah. <laughs> enlightened space. And energetically, to be in. it energetically, just seems like a depressive just, environment. Oh my gosh. Fluorescent lighting from the 1960s, just like cinder block walls painted by no healing paint, chipping, lead paint. I, I have no idea. It was just so toxic of an environment. And, you know, when I look at how many years I spent in those labs, oftentimes not seeing the light of day because I'd be there before dawn. And, and by the time I was going home to my kids, it was dark. And I was in a pretty dark space. And so sometimes, you know, I want to encourage everybody that, you know, spiritual enlightenment doesn't take some freaking process. It takes a willing heart. And if you just become willing for a second, the universe is going to freaking show up like you can't even believe it. It doesn't take effort. It takes surrender. It's the opposite of effort. Mm-hmm. And so let go. Let let the fuck go of all your beliefs about what it's going to take to become conscious or all these words we throw around in the, this metaphysical environment that are kind of, I think, in themselves almost low energy or diffuse the real truth of the beauty, which is that we can't create any event. We, we aren't the creators of this thing. We are players in this beautiful symphonic dance of life within the universe. And we have this opportunity to surrender into that right now as humanity. And, uh, I, you know, one thing that comes to mind that I, I is one of my pet peeves is when I hear people saying that, you know, human consciousness was rising first of all, there is no such thing as human consciousness. Consciousness is, is an access point to the knowledge field of all knowledge in the universe, which works in the quantum field. The quantum field holds all of this and the black holes of the universe and all of this and the black holes within our own bodies. But there is not like a rise in consciousness. It's, it's a, it's a portal through which you're looking into the knowledge field. And so either the, you're using that effectively as an access point to the knowledge field or not, but to, to put dominion over consciousness and call it human consciousness is just ludicrous. I think we use these terms as human beings here in the 3d reality that we call home. And we try to make sense of things that are esoteric, but it's really hard sometimes to even understand what those mean. It's just human beings trying to fabricate words so we can understand the point of consciousness you're talking about, which is very intense at times. And I see spirituality being commodified. Where, yep. I, you know, I, on my podcast, I've had many spiritual quote leaders and I just interviewed Danielle Laporte and, and she asked this powerful question to you. Actually, I was messaging mm-hmm. her this morning and I said, what would you ask Zach? And she said, ask him about hope. Mm. Ask him where he pulls hope from, <laughs> because I think that can bring us closer to the portal instead mm-hmm. of it being called quote, quote, human consciousness rising. Maybe hope is it. Hope is definitely an interesting one in that it's, um, it's often misportrayed as an emotion, right? Or something like that. Uh, but it's a state of being. Um, I would say the same about joy. I would say the same thing about real, real love. You know, the, the sensation of 
being in love or something like that lasts about seven seconds and then you have to rekindle it. Um, so is it seven? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The amygdala only works for like seven seconds on these intense emotions. Um, and it fizzles itself out because it's a huge neurologic effort to create all of those sensations that we would, uh, you know, uh, akin to one of these intense emotions of whether it be lust, anger, you know, uh, you know, quote unquote, you know, fluttery love, whatever it is. And so when we start step away from the amygdala, when we step away from our emotional brain and start stepping into a state of existence, that's where the state of joy, a state of peace, a state of, you know, hope, these are, these are vibrational states. And so it's not something that needs to be manufactured. Uh, it's not something that needs to be you know, conjured up. It's simply a tuning in. You know? mm. And so you tune into a frequency and it happens to be hope. What's your process for tuning? Because we're not cultivating it is what I'm hearing from you. We're not cultivating it. No, we don't we're, create hope. We're, yeah. we're tuning ourselves to it. How do we do that? How do we attune ourselves? Yeah. I, I mean, I think everybody's going to have a different process. For me, for me, I'm a huge fan of silence. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the word meditation because it has a lot of I think preconceived notions around it and I'm not the best meditator in the strict, you know, practice of it. Instead, I find it much easier to use the word silence because it reminds me of, of the process. And so when I go into silence, you know, I fly all the time. And so airplanes are like my best friend these days because I can put on my noise canceling headphones and, I now fall asleep typically before the plane even rolls and I'm just in a space and I'll usually wake up, you know, 20, 30 minutes later from this micro nap in this like relaxed alpha state. And I'll, I've got a number of, you know, uh, Sanskrit um, soundtracks that I like listening to that help me access a vibrational energy of, of silence because I'm not understanding the Sanskrit. So I'm not thinking about the words mm. instead I'm feeling the experience of this deep I love wisdom. That. And so find a space somehow, whether it be through any of these tools or your own path, but find that space and then just stop trying to create anything and completely go into this state of willingness from the heart. Yes, I am. Yes, I am willing. I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing. And it's intense what the universe will call you into. If you are, if you are willing, it's going to take you on a beautiful freaking journey, but humanity's not doing that journey. So it's going to be challenging on the people around you. It's been challenging for my own mm. family, I think, yeah. over the years because I'm just not the same person that I used to be. And they spent 40 years with back then. To, you know, to the last 10 years has been so God. different. And I'm very blessed with a loving family that still very much loves me. But I think it's been hard for them to watch me go through all of these chapters. And my life has, I've had to let go of so many things so many things and you know i now just have like so little to call my own which i love i've got this log cabin in the woods that i me and my son built together you know 13 years ago and that 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 log home in the woods is just all i need you know and it's more than i need and i it's now my sacred space and that it's got all my blood sweat and tears in there for sure but it's it's got a it's a breathing entity itself. It's made out of living, living <laughs> walls, and uh, you know it's it's a process of watching nature dance through my life, 
and re- reclaim this home. Mm. The carpenter bees and the woodpeckers are steadily taking it apart and returning it to nature. And I love watching it happen. I love just, you know, not spraying it all dead and trying to sterilize the house. I, I have such a hard time killing any bug in, in, in any place, but especially in my home, you know, cockroaches seem sacred. The, you know, the, the whole thing just breathes life because it's real and it's, you know, not trying to claim or sterilize itself, you know, into loneliness. I feel when I'm in that home alone, I feel very surrounded by love. Yeah, we feel, all need a sacred space feel, like that. I feel entities. I feel mm. feel nature around me. I feel like I can hear the trees talking to me. Uh, it's it's just a stunning experience to start to give up dominion in all parts of your life and be willing to lo- lose everything that you've been told you wanted or needed. And uh, if you just keep asking yourself, "Am I willing? Am I willing to, to go go different? Uh, be bigger? Whatever." be different is enough you know just show me a path that's my highest vibration or whatever you want to ask for but be willing and be that means you're gonna have to let go of a lot um what's one of the what's one of the biggest things that you've had to let go of since the pandemic since march i remember we talked uh both in person and virtual last year and you do seem different you i get an energy from you that you have let go of quite a bit. So what's something big that you've let go? That's honestly, Zach, a mirror for all of us. Everybody had their shit come up during COVID. Yeah. And epigenetically, physiologically, societally, politically, like there's not one space where we haven't had to deal with our own shit by looking in the mirror. So with all, I mean, you're incredibly mature. You handle a lot of things in this world and you do it with an element of grace how do you do that? And, and what have you had to let go of to be in that grace, to be in that vibration? Well, certainly during the pandemic, I had to give up any value of my public perception, you know, my, my the public's opinion of me, you know. And so by just staying true to what I know and speaking my, my honesty as much as possible, it put me through a lot of, you know, just the interesting phenomenons of a cancellation society and cancel culture and just, uh, you know, watching people read into you what they want to hate, you know, and all of that. And so I've had to give up any care for what people think of me. (laughs) And that's been empowering for sure. And uh, I've never been more childlike in my life. I have just... I sleep like a freaking baby these days. You know, I'm just, I don't even know how to feel stress at the moment in my life. I, feel, I hope I never learn to do it again because I can't find any scenario that could be defined as failure you know, anymore. It's just like, no, that doesn't actually even exist. You know, there's only journey and we need to completely let go. I guess the biggest thing I've let go of is judgment on myself. And I stopped judging my own path. I stopped judging myself for failed relationships or failed, you know, beliefs about was I a good enough dad here or there or was I, you know, good enough employer or, you know, you know, it's hard not to, you know, hold on to everybody who's let go from your company over time, not to take that personally, all these things. So there's a lot of levels of 
um, just letting go of that judgment that has been transformative in my life. And I have finally been able to see my own beauty, which if you'd asked me a year ago, I'd be like, oh yeah, I know how to do self-love and all this stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't have a freaking clue Yeah, because I th- was trying to engender the, the emotion of self-love and the fabric of everything. If you you've probably heard this in another podcast I've done, but you know, one of my colleagues you know, came back from this message from a journey that he was on and got a clear message for Zach and Christ told him, that the fabric tells Zach the fabric of everything is not love, which I'd been railing against. I was so frustrated with this. How is it the fabric of everything? Because if it is, then we are nowhere near an enlightened species because we seem to do this thing so poorly and we don't even understand what it is. And came back with <laughs> this incredible message that the fabric of everything is not love. The fabric of everything is beauty. And when you see beauty, you can have the experience of love. And so that transformed my life and hearing that a couple of years ago. And I didn't realize I hadn't seen my own beauty yet, you know, and I hadn't put those pieces together. And just in the last six months or so, overwhelming experiences of seeing the beauty of the sacred thing within me, soul or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to to behold. There's there's literally a like a star being inside of me, you know, and you all have that. You all have that in you, and nobody has empowered any of us to go and find that thing, connect to that thing. And when you do, you know, suddenly the idea of fearing anything seems ludicrous. Fearing death is the most ludicrous thing because all you know now is you're going to step back into that full potential of that star being when you step past this veil of this physical meat suit. You know? Yeah, and so you lose the fear of death. You lose the fear of failure if, if you're still holding on to that concept of this, and you start to play a different game. Uh, and that game is shifted from a finite game. And so if you look at the way in which commerce governments, sociopolitical belief systems, social systems, educational systems, they all play a finite game, which is always, a finite game is always designed so there's a winner and loser. Mm -hmm. The infinite game is designed so that we can keep playing. And there is no winner or loser. There is no right or wrong. There is no light and dark there's no there's only a balanced energy within the system right and for its balance we get to continue to play and so when you find your own beauty at that soul level you let go of fear and guilt at that moment you're playing an infinite game for the first time and suddenly every single conversation you have is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen and um I was falling asleep last night talking to a friend. Um, I'm blessed with some of the most heart-open men in the world. Like, just amazing group of men around me, amazing group of women around me who are just pushing the envelope for themselves and for all of us on coming into alignment with their own beauty. And I was talking to a friend last night, and he's holding space for, you know, just our conversation unfold and he dropped a few lines in there that just were, just spoke to me at the soul level. I was kind of half in sleep and can't even repeat them right now because I don't remember them so clearly, but I remember them 
feeling like they reset my cellular structure. Like just, yeah. I didn't hear them in my brain. I felt it in my body when he said these truths. And f- fell asleep in this state of just awe of I had just had the most beautiful conversation I'd ever had. And then woke up this morning and had freaking mind-boggling great conversation with Aubrey Marcus and his wife uh, staying at their place and just most beautiful conversation I've ever had. And here we are. Having another one. The most beautiful conversation (laughs) I've ever had. And so it can get to this point where you're in such awareness of the beauty around you and the souls that you are touching and you can start to see through the divine eye the beauty in other people around you. And when you see their beauty, they immediately go to the next level. Immediately. There is no need for psychotherapy. There's no need for trauma counseling. We simply can heal immediately if we can see each other's beauty. And that's hopeful for a world of so full of trauma, so yes. full of you know angst and you know a uh, uh, very justified victimhood. You know we we can heal that so fast when we see each other's beauty, and there's an access point there for that vibration that we would call hope. There's so many questions I want to ask you from what you just said. Good Lord. But the one that I really want to ask you is the one that hit your soul when you said your friend was speaking to you. I feel like whenever I really hear the truth, no bullshit. Whenever I really hear the truth, it imprints my water. It imprints my body. Mm. And what I heard from you when you were talking about going right to the beauty in conversation, going right to the beauty in someone, there's a natural, almost like a snake shedding its skin that we have to do spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally. How do we begin that process? I mean, I understand what you're saying. I can truly connect with the beauty of you right now. Mm. And I'm feeling all the people with us Mm. that maybe are having a hard time doing that for themselves. So let's just do it together now. Yeah. Let's uh, put our feet on the ground in front of us. Uncross your legs if they're crossed. Put your feet down. Push your chest out gently. Open up that heart center. Let your shoulders fall away from your ears. Let your breath relax. With your eyes closed, relax your eyeballs. You carry a lot of tense energy behind those eyes. Let gravity take over, turn them into jello. Relax the forehead now. Let it melt. Space between your eyes. Relax the top of your scalp. Now feel root systems shooting down from your feet down into the earth. Mycelial networks coming in contact with those roots to talk to nourish. Bring your attention to the space between the floor of the pelvis and your belly button. It's called the Dan Qian in many of the Chinese practices. In that quiet space, you have an animated hologram or 
image of your entire soul there, right in that space of your pelvis. And it's untouched. The vibration of the soul is immune to, separate from any human trauma, human emotions, human belief systems. These souls predate the existence of life on earth. And so when you're in this space between the pelvis and the belly button there, you're in a sacred space. You're in the holy of holies of your own body in many ways. So if we call this your core, this is a space you can come into, listen into. Feel the silence there. Feel the lack of chaos. There is no chaos there. In that space is something so beautiful, so complete. There's an opportunity here to wind divine feminine and divine masculine together. We stop looking to one another as humans, looking to complete each other in relationship and instead complete ourselves through this holy relationship, through this holy opportunity to combine, intertwine like a double-stranded DNA, bring together the divine masculine and feminine within your body. Channel it down into that Chan, into that core. Feel the pelvis fill with warmth. Feel it expand. Feel the tailbone, the sacrum, relax like a tail unfurling. Relax the floor of the pelvis. Feel the fullness of the space, the warmth and the energy. This is your access point for the entire knowledge field of the universe. Everything is remembered. Everything is integrated. This space is always there for you. are exquisitely beautiful. You are enough. We can lose judgment on the journey. There is no failure. There's no victories. The journey is exactly what it's needed to be to bring us together now. To take a step forward as a humanity that is ready to engage nature. a universal intelligence without any sense of dominion, ownership, division, scarcity. We'll step into the silence to recognize the abundance. We can start to realign commerce, sociopolitical things, our jobs, our relationships to the tune of this completed symphony within us, the masculine and feminine divine within each of us. We are balanced. We are no longer in need of one another. We instead have the opportunity to be in reverence to one another. 
As you come back, you can pull the roots up back into your body so that you can walk again, bringing the nutrients from Mother Earth back up into your body now. Don't forget you have feet. You spend so much time in your head, you forget you have these legs and these feet. These are your transportation systems to take you on the path of your life. Give gratitude to your feet right now. Give gratitude to your ankles, your calves. thighs, hamstrings, glutes, core, belly, chest, shoulders, neck, beautiful face. This is your body. You've been given it for great purpose. Take care of it. Be grateful for it. It's exactly the vessel you needed to achieve your highest path. Give deep gratitude for it, for its imperfections, for the age that you might carry. This is the track record of your path. The body remembers that, and that's okay. And be grateful for this body. These are the arms that will hug the people that you will come to see as beautiful. This is the heart that will explode when you find your own beauty. Be well. Look for the vibration of hope in your life. Draw near to those that heighten that vibration. I feel this beautiful lump of sadness, not fear that we die. It's not, it's not a fear that we die. It's a sadness. And that sadness reminds me how special it is for me to have my son, for me to, be with my partner, Carrie. It's profound. Thank you. I was hearing my son cry in the background, connecting to what you said, and uh, it was pretty overwhelming for a second in the most beautiful way. Grateful for you, Zach. Grateful for this life and our ability to be here. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Grateful for the opportunity to be in fellowship. I'm grateful to be with all of you listening right now. There's a collapse of space-time when we get into these spaces together. There's a camaraderie here that we should come to practice often. Sacred community will certainly birth sacred commerce in the future but it will begin with your own relationship to self. And I want to remind you, you will not find that beauty of self without some incredible mirrors around you. And so find the people that are willing to be witness to your journey as you surrender freaking everything. You don't, you can't build consciousness. You can't 
work hard enough to become conscious. You literally have to do the other way. You have to go into a complete release. Tell the universe you cannot do it yourself and that you're going to let go of it and instead receive it instead of create it. Receive everything. Tap into that. It is infinite. Energy is infinite. All energy is information. All information is for connection. There is a galactic ecosystem of life within you that is all interconnected and talking all the time. There's a galactic community throughout this universe of life on who knows how many planets that is resonating back towards us, intelligence of millions of varieties. We are not alone. We are here to be in fellowship with the planet, with the ecosystems within us, with the ecosystems of the universe. We're here to be reconnected to the greatest nature at the greatest scale. We can step into that. We can become co-creators once we learn to receive. There's a gift to be with each of you. There's a huge opportunity that we're sitting here right now with is that when we get up and walk away from this, we could allow everything to be different. Or we could walk away from this and try to get ourselves back into the stressed out mindset that we had been in. And there's an opportunity for you just to let go of it. Just let go of all of it. Let go of any sense of failure, of financial failure, of relational failure. None of that's true. The money system is not at all tied to any real value. If you can't make money that's worthless, then who cares? Start creating value in your life. And you will be heavily rewarded. Create value in everything you do, starting with yourself and the relationships you put around yourself. Be inclusive with your love. Love everything. Love everyone. Sit across from anyone you meet with the awareness that this is the most important conversation you've ever had because it is the one you are having right now. And for that, we're going to have a different result, a different society, a different political system, macroeconomic system. All of that can switch over in an instant when we start to allow this natural law to emanate through everything, when we put a value system back into everything. Somebody's experiencing that for the third or the fourth time. And they're doing their best and they're in communion with you and I. And they're met with censorship or they're met with exclusion. They're met with a different terrain than what you just created for us. How have you, how can they, how can we all 
deal with and learn to transcend from this insanity of censorship. I'm wrong. You're right. Yeah. It's, a, it's such a low energy environment that is just like, once you keep dropping into that space where we just were, it's going to become irrelevant to you. It's, yes. it's not a value system at all. It's, it's just a, it's a form of self abuse the way that people do this. So remember if you're being attacked, it's simply people hating themselves. Uh, if they project that hate on you, it's, it's just a instance of human behavior there. It's not personal to you. It's other people failing to love themselves or see their own beauty. Um, I have huge compassion for the people that have lashed out at me at different times. This, this scar on my face is kind of interesting. I got hit by uh, a beer bottle in a, a bar on my last day of residency, split my face open. It was... Uh, not what you're expecting Zach Bush to be doing with his life at the time, but I'd been coming out of three years of intense internal medicine residency. We'd been working, you know, 80 hours a week at least with, you know, this group of 35 doctors and it was the last day of residency. And so we all went out that night. Um, I had been chosen as one of the chief residents. Um, so my, I was continuing on another year of faculty appointment and teaching. And so I was actually uh, on call that night as chief resident uh, for the hospital system and, managing kind of hospital admissions from the emergency room and other uh, hospitals around our network and everything else. And so I was the only one needing to be sober that night. Everybody else was a bit liquored up after three years of working their tails off and celebrating kind of the last time they'd see each other uh, largely and kind of all going to the wind to their different careers at that point. And so we went to this dance club in Charlottesville, Virginia. It's called Rapture. And, uh, it was happened to be hip hop night on a Thursday night. They're not exactly known as a hip hop dancer here, but I but you have a good one. Love dancing, and I definitely did a lot of break dancing as a kid and sucked at it really bad, <laughs> but loved it. And so I was just having a freaking ball. Um, so dancing hard in the night at about midnight, 1 a.m., it got really crowded, and so this little dance club got packed and it was kind of shoulder to shoulder. And and this, uh, this gentleman in the corner started freaking out on acid or something and picked up this cocktail table and threw it at our group and didn't seem to be like necessarily targeting our group just through this table. And he was screaming at the universe, you know, just angry and whatever. And so I watched two of his friends go grab him and push him back through the crowd. So I pick up this table and I put it back and turn around and walk back my group and uh, got smashed in the face by something that, I just I figured something fell off the roof or something like I didn't see anything coming. It was just smashed in the face. I spun around a couple of times and landed on a table and um, kind of a little bit blurry and uh, kind of figured out where I was and stood up and I was wearing a red shirt. So I didn't, when I looked down, I didn't notice anything. And then I turned around and this little resident who was a friend of mine looked up in my face and she just like went white as a ghost and I suddenly realized there was something going on and reached up on my face and I could feel my skull uh, on my right side of my face and the zygomatic arch, which is the thing that creates your cheekbone, is this arch of bone. And I reached up and accidentally reached all the way around my zygomatic arch, realizing I, like all the tissue was gone. <laughs> um, and so uh, you know, immediately went down stairs into the restroom area there and looked in the mirror and 
bone is beautiful. Living bone is like one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen. It looks um, like the inside of a clam shell or an oyster shell where you have like this pearlescent quality to it. And it's like pink living tissue. It doesn't look white. It doesn't look like, you know, bone out when it's dead. It's just, you know, a skeleton, if you will. Living bone is this vibrant quantum tissue. And so I was watching my own skull in such fascination, having never seen it, obviously, and struck by just the beauty of that. And then kind of coming back around to like, I better stop this bleeding. I was bleeding profusely. The face bleeds pretty, pretty hard when it split apart like that and um so my my shirt and pants were just covered in blood and I grabbed a huge wad of paper towels and just shoved it on my face as hard as i could try to stop the bleeding and um, we were only a couple blocks from the hospital and um, i came out of the bathroom there's 30 doctors freaked out and uh, all just like in shock and all drunk and i just burst out laughing i was like three years of training you guys are all useless like, just like useless cumulative uh, hundred years of training out the window like yeah. nobody's helping me here yeah so i drove myself to the er with two of my friends who had drank too much in the back seat making sure that i didn't pass out on the way to the er because it was going to take too long for an ambulance to get there so within like four minutes i'm over at the hospital, I'm walking in the the, the, bank, in the glass doors of the emergency room that I'd been so well aware of, <laughs> worked so hard in over the years, and walked in. One of my best friends in the emergency room was in there as the chief ER resident that night, and and uh, he he just burst out laughing when he saw me. He's like, "What, Zach? <laughs> like of all the freaking people." this would be you walking and looking like this. He's like, what the hell happened? I was like, ah, it's just a bar fight. And he, that, that I was the most unlikely human being in the world to ever be in a bar fight. Yeah. Um, but you know, the interesting thing that I learned from that is that, um, that man who walked up behind me and smashed a, a full beer bottle on my face was so afraid of me that he didn't, couldn't even do it to my face. He had to come up behind me and smash that. And he was like, like I'm just a skinny white kid. He's this huge, muscled up, you know, dude, and like could have crushed me, you know, like whatever. Like I could have, I would have never fought this guy, right? You know, it, it, but the fact that it went down like that, and I never saw him because as soon as he'd smashed me, a couple of his friends grabbed him, ran him out of the place, and and so it gave me this deep sense of there is no perpetrator here. There is no. There's there's a broken humanity here. I'm part of it. His anger is totally justified. You know, I, re- I represent the colonialism that has enslaved his people and his ancestors and whatever abuses they've suffered, I've profited from, you know, and so I I could never have any anger towards him or, you know, and I was just in awe of, the resources that were immediately at my disposal. Like, you know, I was surrounded by friends who cared about me and they called in the chief plastic surgeon for me and spent five hours getting my, they cleaned up this huge blunt trauma into these clean edges and brought my face together in 60 stitches or something like this. And I was back in the hospital at six o'clock in the morning for the first day of residency for this new class coming in. And I looked like freaking hell. And um, welcomed my team of new residents and said that this is going to be the best three years of your life, and it's going <laughs> to change who you are. On your face, you're but, talking. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got like 
just i'm so swollen at that point like it looked like they were just like well being man. a doctor is kind of intense yeah and i was like you know i was just in a bar fight last night and was like, <laughs> <laughs> so i was like you know you think you're coming to sleepy charlottesville but it's really the knife and gun club around here so wow. um any rate it's just so funny the whole thing is so ridiculous but it stuck with me and i get this little tingle across that part of my face there's a little bit of neuropathy from the, the damage there but i get this little tingle from time to time, whenever I start to feel sorry for myself or, you know, feel abused by the system or someone cancels me or whatever it is, you know, it's like mm. this little tingle comes through just to remind me of like, you know, there's no, there's no victimhood here. There's no perpetrator here. There's, there's humanity struggling to come in line with a nature that loves it and to express our own beauty and um, so I'm grateful for the moment. It, it gave me a different sense of self walking out of that. I became a lot more confident after that. Um, I had never been through, you know, minor little fights and punching people, and getting punched in the face by little sixth graders on the playground or something silly. But I had never been yeah. really nearly unconscious from a, a blow like that and realizing how well my body took it and realizing how resilient the healing process is it, it just gave me some lots of new beautiful concepts and deep insights into my own physiology my own spirituality my own sense of connection with the man that smashed that bottle on my face i i feel for him i know that he was just under a huge amount of suffering that night and uh, he was so lonely so terrified of the universe and feeling completely hopeless and out of tune with himself and uh, the same thing happened about a week, uh, one week later on the same Thursday night scene. And uh, this time it was uh, one of the staff that got hit by the same guy. And hmm. so the third week they were ready for that. And uh, he showed back up and uh, SWAT team raided the place and made a few different arrests and all this. And to this day, I'm kind of bummed it all went that direction because I just kind of wish he had hit me and walked away and learned something from it. And, Instead, you know, our system vilified him and put him in prison and you know, perpetuated a cycle of new slavery that we call, you know, prison. Uh, African Americans in our prison system are so abused and as soon as, you know, they're arrested for something like that, they'll never vote again. We take that right away and uh, they're no longer a citizen. That's horrible. This shouldn't be allowed. We should never take away voting rights, I believe, from anybody, you know. Yeah. It actually kind of reminds me of what you talked about with cancer. Because <laughs> you've mentioned many times that cancer is when cells stop communicating. So what happens to us as people when I stop listening to you? Or when we stop listening to people because they've done something atrocious? Yeah. It's the cancer of the spirit. It's cancer of the society. It's cancer of the body. Is cancer all the same? Does it really operate on the same fundamental principle? Yeah. Is the the meta disease beyond cancer even all disease the meta disease is isolation it's the second law of thermodynamics works every time any system left in isolation increases its chaos period uh, second law is, is entropy which is one of my favorite words uh, but it's second to the word syntropy which is the opposite of entropy and we have the opportunity to step into syntropy with a nature that we've been entropic with because we isolated ourselves from nature. We've isolated ourselves from one another. So we get school shootings. We get 65-year-old men climbing towers in Las Vegas and shooting hundreds of strangers down below. That's just a isolated cell. 
that's become so out of tune with the original organism, forgetting, forgetting it is part of that organism altogether. Uh, that's the saddest soul in the system. Mm-hmm. And we have a way of feeling righteous about anger at that person, and we try to you know, met out justice to try to even the playing field, bring light to the dark, you know, even and out. It's not working. That's not how we're going to bring balance to the system. We're going to have to start to realize that you know, each of these instances, cancer or school shootings or whatever it is, are going to all be our path forward. One of the be- most beautiful things I've found out in medicine at this point in my life, especially through energetics, energy medicine, is that the antidote for every injury lies within the wound. And we have a tendency to run away from the wound. We have a tendency to suppress the pain instead of walking into the pain. Mm. And so in the pain that we have in this society over the chronic abuse, the raping and killing of women, the raping and killing of indigenous peoples, the stealing of lands that we continue to do around the globe in the, in the this time, you know, masquerading as corporations that are out to feed the world. We go and steal lands from indigenous people all over the world through these land grabs. And our big corporations are acting as their own form of militias at this point. And they hire local militias in these developing world and do land grabs and literally push indigenous people out of their land that they've been on for hundreds of thousands of years without any care of where they end up. And um, we fence those properties and call them ours and make a bunch of sugar cane to it's not just us though it's china as well china's owning multiple like huge acreage in africa and it's not just america it's like this it's a global consciousness yeah that we're experiencing and and i i zach like this interview is so interesting like i i feel a different part of you than i've ever felt Hmm. it's really beautiful Hmm. appreciate it's really beautiful because i just put my questions away because obviously we're talking about community, but I mean, the things that you've already expressed, those are all the ingredients we need. We don't actually need any more. Yeah. I mean, that's what you've expressed. I want to just tell everybody right now that it's already been won. The whole journey is already won. It's, it's the infinite game already got played out. Uh, Space time is a perception of our own third density, third dimensional reality that we uh, think we're living within here. But it's already done. Like there, there, there is at the end of time an extraordinarily beautiful journey of of human history, uh, where uh, a great enlightenment continued over time, and we've seen through our history of the last few thousand years moments of those enlightenments, moments of great change and understanding of who we are. And I think we're right now in the biggest scientific shift revolution that we've ever been in right now. And those scientific revolutions of the past have led to enlightenment moments. Uh, the Greeks discovered with the work of Pythagoras and other early geometry you know, forefathers, mothers of the time, uh, they started to make breakthroughs in understanding geometry of the heavens and realized that the earth was not flat, that it was actually a sphere. And it was so disruptive to not just scientific thought at the time, but religious beliefs. And it led to a really ex- huge explosion of you know, new perception and new questions being asked. And 1,600 years later, we would see you know, the invention of the telescope, or 1,400 years, in 1,400, the, the telescope. And we would suddenly discover that the planet was not in the center of the universe, which was shocking. We, 
we certainly feel like we're still. Yeah. And we thought that the heavens were swirling around us to find out that we were swirling around the sun with a bunch of other planets. And this sun is a tiny speck in a massive galaxy of a billion suns. Have you seen the Carl Sagan video, the pale blue dot? Yes. Oh my God. We're going to link that. I mean, it's, we're so, we're like a speck of sand. Speck of sand. We truly are. Yeah. There's so much we don't understand at all. Yeah. And so that was super disruptive to religious control at the time, you know, and suddenly if there's billions of other planets, is there life out there? So we started asking new questions and we started making ourselves available to new possibilities. And now in the last, you know, 15 years with the advent of genetic sequencing, we have a very, very big revolution of, of paradigm shifting science happening. Are you talking about CRISPR or something different? Genetic sequence, uh, genetic uh, sequencing is meaning we can decode the genetic, uh, you know, fabric of any tissue in the body to figure, figure out what's in there, yeah. what genes are, are active in any tissue of the body or whatever. So genetic sequencing has shown us that the human cell is not at the center of human health or human life. And at the center of human life is this vast ecosystem of almost invisible creatures, bacteria, fungi, protozoa, archaea, parasites. Yeah. And that's at the center of human health. What does that mean about who we are? Well, we are walking ecosystems of intelligence that go far beyond a nervous system that we would call human. And so we are a sensory processing system for all life on the planet. That's what I've come to see us as. And as a sensory processing unit for life that has been developing for 4 billion years, there's an intelligence that we can access that's insane. Massive. And we have no need to remember it because it's already remembered. It's already integrated. It's in our fabric. And so, as I sit here, I'm, I'm about three and a half weeks into five weeks of continuous travel. I haven't been in the same bed for more than two nights for that time. And there's a state of peace in me moving from spot to spot because I just still am me. <laughs> And it's because I'm not Zach. I'm, I'm a collection of intelligent vibration, an ecosystem within. And the human construct of the belief of Zach is such a small part of what I actually am. And so if somebody wants to go attack the Zach piece, it's kind of like getting a hangnail. It's mm-hmm. just like so inconsequential at this point, you know. You can hate Zach, but man, my 14 quadrillion mitochondria kind of kick ass. You might want to love that, you know? And so it's, it's just very pleasant to come into a reality where there is no longer any belief of needing to be a personality or maintain some sort of character or be performative in your work or performative in your relationships, you know, just let all that freaking stuff go Surrender, surrender, surrender. Open your hands up. Keep them face up so that you can receive whatever the universe wants to pour in. And expect everything to transform easier than you could have ever expected. Because mm-hmm. if you think through, what, oh my gosh, I'm in this relationship. I'm stuck. I have no finances. Blah, 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 and I'm job's terrible. And I never have the access to do my company. I always want to start. And blah, blah, blah. You have all this... Stop the chatter in your head. Stop that and come down into that core that we just practiced getting into earlier. 
come into that space and just laugh. Just yeah. freaking laugh. It's I loved my feet hilarious. on the ground. I was feeling, I was actually visualizing all the mycelium wrapping around me, almost like vines. That's it. And, um, and I loved it because, man, I definitely like growing a business. And, and what I'm doing is like very micro considered to your macro, right? And I'm not comparing myself. I'm just speaking to two different missions, two different things. Yeah. And I have experienced so much stress, hot air, weight gain, self-judgment, all these things. And I've had to go through them. I mean, actually, it's beautiful. I've had the gift of going through them because they really are a gift, but they don't feel like it in the moment. <laughs> in the moment, I feel like I'm bleeding or I feel like I'm, feel like I'm dying at times. feel like you're failing. I feel like I'm failing self-judgment. So this paradigm, I think of it, it's, it's almost like a, a silver ball and a string. And we all play that game. The most of us, not all of us, actually, most of us. And it just goes back and forth. It's like, you didn't do enough. You have shame. Go back to working hard. Uh, you didn't do enough. Go back to working hard. How do we like take that game apart? <laughs> just drop that game, this paradigm of, of self-shame, judgment. I'm not doing enough. I think I look at all the buildings in downtown Austin. Man, how many of those buildings were built from men who had father wounds and they had to prove themselves because they weren't enough? Like we've, we've got to change, we've got to change the paradigm here. So, um, I feel like you should run for office, man. I really do. Like we, we need a breath of fresh air in politics. So how do we, how do we change that paradigm? It's a massive question, but I like big questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, my grandmother told me that that would happen when I was a kid. She, she uh, said you'd be in politics. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my, yeah. my family, of course, always has been. But you're not Bush family. Oh, so you are related to George W. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't just, know that. Yeah. My, the Bush family arrived in 1617 at the beginning of the country. And just 10 years after Jamestown was found, founded, uh, John Bush uh, arrived there in 1617. And, okay. and then the family kind of went two different directions. My side of the family went with Daniel Boone through the Kentucky Gap and settled Boonesboro. The other part of the Bush family ended up uh, heading north to Connecticut. That's so wild. uh, So H and W are both from the Connecticut side of the family. And then my side of the family was Southern Democrats. And my grandfather worked directly with Eleanor Roosevelt as kind of her right-hand man during the, the New Deal and the rebuilding of the the economy coming out of the Dust Bowl and all that. And a lot of beautiful parks were built from that. Years, yeah. Yeah, a lot of big infrastructure, the national park systems, all this. But uh, Eleanor drove herself around in her own Model T. He'd ride in the, in the passenger seat, and they'd go from D.C. down into Tennessee, West Virginia, Kentucky, through the coal mine regions that were just starving, literally starving. Soup lines, you know, miles long, and they would, Eleanor Roosevelt and my grandfather, Monroe Bush, which would would be in service there and you know she ended up being you know, one of the most important political voices i think in the, of that century she she really helped envision what a world after world war ii would look like so that that would never happen again and she wrote she was put in charge of the new un commission for human rights and wrote the 50 point designation of uh the Declaration of Human Rights uh, for the whole world, and that 50-point document has never been utilized effectively, but is one of the most brilliant pieces of writing. And what you realize when you read that is the founding fathers forgot the founding mothers. We would have never written the Declaration of Independence like we did, or the Constitution, had there been women in the room. If we had included the wisdom of the the matriarchy, the feminine archetype within that, they would have created an infinite game rather than a finite colonial 
you know, abuse system. Uh, we would not have killed so much. We would not have stolen so much, you know, and so we need a balance of the infinite game, the natural law, the feminine archetype back in. And so if I'm ever going to run for office, it's going to be with a huge group of women around me. And we're not going to let a system tell us what kind of input we can give. We're going to come with a huge platform of women who can see the mechanisms of real social change and uh, create spaces for real deep reconciliation with our history, uh, with the abuses and all of that. Because leading a country under its current formation, under its current documents, under its current form of colonialism is not an option anymore for any of us. Is the colonialism also the the game, the paradigm, the shame, the fear? Is it the same thing? Yeah. Colonialism is Seems like, like it is. the direct result of scarcity. And so if yeah. you believe in scarcity, then you have to go steal resources from anyone you can find. <laughs> and even when we're experiencing a perceived from the egoic space of scarcity, it's simply not true? No, it doesn't exist. Energy is literally infinite in the universe. Energy on the planet is infinitely accessible. And so all we have to do is start closing all these loops of waste and brokenness, and we're going to have free electricity by 2040, 50. There's no cost to electricity because we're bringing energy production in line with nature's design of H2O mostly. We're going to start releasing the energy from hydrogen and oxygen at the moment that it combines to make water. And that energy source is insane. Like it's literally will make energy free. And well, Zach, I feel high. <laughs> I feel high from our conversation, man. <laughs> I really love your wisdom. And I know that there is so much going on in your community. Like you've been, you travel, you teach, you educate. We all need community. I mean, it, it makes me emotional just to say it. Like I, I have fallen into that trap where I stay at home and work. <laughs> and that's all that I do. I, I get stuck in these work loops. But it's so beautiful to like, you know, we hug today. It's so beautiful. Or when I go and sit with men and we hug each other and, and we need that on such a profound scale. How do we do that virtually or is that not even possible? Like, what are you doing to lead your community right now in that way? I've seen you put out a lot of content and education. Yeah, obviously I do a ton virtually, but, um, you know, I think that I'm getting better and better at, at transcending the virtual space into making a really spiritual connection with anybody, you know, and... Um, it obviously depends on how the other person shows up, I suppose. But, you know, I think I've, I've lost any sense of, you know, inefficacy in that space. Uh, but I, I also, uh, would be not the person I am today if I didn't every single day seek out community every single day. And I have surrounded myself with the most heart open, generous human beings that I could ever meet. And they have continued to push the envelope in their own life of becoming more generous and more heart open. And so that giving economy is definitely happening around me. You know, I have people leaving, you know, 25, 30 year careers at the biggest companies in the world, the biggest finance companies in the world to help start my own capital partners, which has no money at the moment, you know. And so to see people rallying to a concept and being willing to leave behind, you know, huge wealth potential that they're yeah. giving up to step into the space to say, this must be done. We must begin a, a reconciliation with nature through our food systems. We have to do this. So this is really what it's about at this point is building community and being with them on a daily basis. And so 
I spend a lot of time in my my evenings on the phone with friends uh, because I'm in a space being able to listen uh, in my quiet time to other people's wisdom that just re just resets my cells before I go to sleep, you know, because when I starting to sleep now, it's just a process of making sure I've let go of whatever happened in the day so that I don't create any beliefs or perceptions from that day that I would then imprint on tomorrow mm-hmm. because I could only limit what's going to happen tomorrow. So to go into that completely free potential for a completely revolutionary and transformative day tomorrow, you have to let go of stuff. And it's easiest for me to do that sometimes when I'm listening into the hearts and minds of my friends. And so, yeah, you're you're running a small business, and the toughest time of my life was in those first five years of starting my clinic out in rural Virginia, and I was so isolated and so freaking exhausted. I was seven days a week, you know, in that stupid little clinic making no money. I was working, you know, part-time jobs in hospice and things like that so I could pay my mortgage and keep my kids fed, and I was always out of money every month. I was in the hole, you know, getting the bank notices and all that shit for years, and um, took a toll on my family for sure. Um, took a toll on me cause I was taking it so personally, you know, what are you taking it personally? Like, why is this happening to me? Uh, more I'm failing oh, that it. constant belief that I was failing, mm-hmm. you know, and this isn't working. And I was angry at God and the universe for quite a while in there. Cause I was like, you gave me this vision me too, and I'm just doing the freaking vision. Like I <laughs> didn't have any preparation for the stupid vision because it's not my vision. Like this thing was given to me. So why the hell aren't the resources showing up to do it? So I was very angry, especially on Sunday nights when I'd go in to try to finish payroll and all this computer shit that I was so bad at. And, uh, slowly, you know, I started surrendering because I started being surrounded by a community that was way ahead of me in surrender experiments. And they helped me get into that core space where we went today for yeah. the first time. And so that was about three years into the journey and it took me a, a couple of years to be able to really start to embrace the potential within that space in me. Um, but boy, it sure did shift things. And, uh, you know, between three years and seven years, the whole world changed. And the world inside of you and, changed. And my companies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, first me, but my gosh, did success come quickly when when I stopped the, the judgment of failure? You know, but when you truly learn how to embody surrender, not just say it, because it's easy to be like, I surrender intellectually. Yeah. I surrender. But I when mean, you embody surrender, holy shit. Yeah, and I mean, for me, I'm about as stubborn as a human being as probably comes, and I'm about as resilient of a physiology and a psyche that's out there so i tolerated 17 years of relative abuse and academia and then i tolerated you know five years of isolation loneliness as a small business startup and so amazingly i was still alive and my body was still functioning at a level that i didn't you know have some sort of crippling disease at that point but i had finally reached a bottom state that surrender was the only option and so that's why it took so long is because I was pretty determined to prove that I could do it. I was going to perform. I was going to win the game. I was going to start a company. I was going to do this or that. When I finally surrendered completely, like I cannot do it another second. I cannot breathe. I cannot move. I'm dragging out of bed in the mornings at five o'clock in the morning and try to start the day over again. And uh, at that moment where surrender starts in, 
real. It's it was less a decision for me and much more a necessity. It was just like that's all I had left was to let go and say, you know what, I'll I'll let this whole system fail, let all the companies fail. I don't even understand the vision at this point, so screw it, I'm done. Allison Armstrong calls that the tunnel, mm. where a man is becoming a king, and he's like, what the hell is going on? And she's like, that's when people either make it or universe takes them another way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just by the grace of nature and the universe and the trees that I try to speak for today. That uh, it's just nature's graceful, freaking peaceful place to, to reside within. And so I hope for each of you that you can step outside in the next day or two and find a piece of nature that's maybe new to you um, and lay underneath a tree perhaps. Um, Maybe the middle of winter, wherever you are or whatever, but even if there's no leaves on that tree, I want you to look up, laying on the ground, look at this, the sky through the the quantum you know, patterns that are in all those tree branches and watch clouds float over that for as long as it takes to start to unwind and let your body unwind. Let the, that higher intelligence of nature integrate into your body. Feel the, the roots of, of the tree below you and the intertwined mycelium as you described it and vining up around those. And you're literally, you know, vibrating at your back and looking up through that tree uh, with so much life potential in earth that's going to express itself through you when you align to it. And so surrender your concept of failure, surrender your path and ask willingly to step into your highest potential through community. And if you don't include the through community part, it will not work. And mm -hmm. so offer yourself to community, offer yourself to grow something beyond small business. Maybe that's small business plus community, whatever it is. But you, you need to um, stop the fight. Stop the fight. You can't fight it. You can't win it. Uh, it's an infinite game that you're striving for and you've been only handed finite versions of that game. So that's why it looks like failure all the time. Uh, so let go of the finite games. Uh, finite games are made for a winner and a loser in the infinite game. Again, it's made so that we continue to play. And so let's let's continue to play. Let's not do this extinction thing. Let's go ahead and get in line yeah. and uh, let's stay and play. Mm. So many things came up for me. I'm actually, it's rare for me to go through my own podcast, but I'm going to go through this one, man. Some beautiful lessons. Uh, experiencing you for the third time and, and knowing you for a few years now, um, the way that you describe wellness, we have a highlight reel and you described it about a reverence and this beauty. Has that changed for you in the year? It seems like you've gone through very personal moments this mm -hmm. year, you know? So how does, how does Zach Bush see wellness today? 2022, the road ahead, the, the direction we're moving in and the direction that you feel that you are moving in and Seraphic is moving in. How do you define the wellness inside of you, the wellness outside of us? The, how do we honor the intelligence in us all? Yeah, it's a vibration too. So it's just like hope. It's another vibration. It's one of vitality. It's one that's it's, it's it's a vibration that induces regenerative process within our bodies and minds and spirits. It turns on stem cells. Turns on neurologic dendritic sprouting. It turns on telomerase. It turns on all these you know myriad of four hundred eighty thousand proteins that are there to repair our bodies constantly. Um, and so wellness is a, a vibration to tune into. Um, the future of medicine is definitely energetics and vibration. Uh, we will stop having supplements in the next you know, 20, 30 years, and we'll stop having MRIs and CT scans and all of this, and we'll simply scan the, the electromagnetic field of the body, and we'll be able to do it with our hands better than we will with technologies and 
we'll start to move to a point of real beautiful integration of healing. We'll be able to heal each other so quick, which is something I'm really enjoying these days is watching people heal under quiet hands instead of all these nutrition things and all the other things that we, we do. Uh, coming in into silence next to somebody is a powerful healing tool. And so as somebody who still works in clinic and you know sees patients and all of this, I do my highest work now when I learn to bring my cellular vibration almost silent and I start to feel like stone after a few minutes of just super relaxed breathing and just focusing on bringing all my stillness into its full potential. And then I just spiral that masculine, feminine, divine within me and let that new DNA inform the original math, the original vibration within my body, and then make that available to the person in front of me. And with no expectation or understanding of how it needs to interact with that person. And the amount of emotional release, the amount of physical release, the amount of realignment within that human being has nothing to do with me, obviously. It's the divine coming through all of us. And so uh, we will heal each other beautifully in these decades to come as we start to learn how to tune into the vibration of wellness, the vibration of hope, uh, the vibration of community. You know, these things are going to be, um, they'll supersede all the tens of thousands of years of abuses and traumas and those can heal in an instant. The genetic memory of all that can disappear. I feel the teachings of Eckhart Tolle when he talks about the pain body that's still rippling. And you've spoken about it a lot today. And um, there's just so much wisdom you shared. So I'm super grateful for this conversation and you and coming to my home and meeting my son. It's very surreal, actually, because we <laughs> said it would happen and then it happened. Um, so where do people go for your community? You know? Yeah. Um, we're building a new community with the journey of intrinsic health starting in January, um, journey of intrinsic health.com uh, there. And you can also find it on Zach Bush, MD.com, uh, intelligence of nature.com. You can do the deep dive on soil physiology and, fi- and physics and all that, that we work around. Uh, so intelligence of nature.com. And then with all of our work in restoring soil systems and the like, you can go to farmersfootprint.us. Uh, we also just launched our, our Australia arm too. So there's, if you're in Australia, you can tune into uh, Project Biome uh, Australia there. Uh, projectbiome.org here in the U.S. gets you to see the bigger picture that will be coming out uh, as we continue to mature things beyond Farmer's Footprint. Uh, pro- biomecapitalpartners.com uh, can get you into a glimpse of you know the potential of bringing large capital into this regenerative movement and all of that. So. Um, I'll keep you busy for a while. (laughs) (laughs) That's enough. And and we're enough. So thanks for reminding us about that. Mm. And um, thank you for being a friend and someone that so many of us learn from who is consistently doing his own work, Mm. that the universe always brings lessons and challenges to. And um, the way that you have navigated them and the way you've shared about your navigation uh, is beautiful. So it's the beauty that you're talking about. So thank you, Zach, for coming on the show. Appreciate you, Josh. Appreciate you too. You guys were talking more about Zach at wellnessforce.com forward slash community. It used to be group. I'm changing it to community. I like so it. it's wellnessforce.com forward slash community until Zach and I see you again. We're both honoring the intelligence in us all. Thank you for that kind of verbiage and messaging that I've received from your websites and your business. But until Zach and I see you again, we're both wishing you love and wellness. 
This podcast is brought to you by our trusted friends at Organifi, the creators of the Organifi Gold, my number one turmeric lemon balm and superfood adaptogen bombshell that, trust me, will make you sleep like a baby. I know this because I use it on the regular. Not only is this one of my top sleep supplements I use personally, but also it helps my nervous system and my stomach calm down at the end of the day in the evenings, especially if I've had a stressful day. I know you have those too because you're human. (laughs) And because we're human, the best thing to do is take loving care of the human body, starting with quality sleep, not just quantity. This is gonna allow you to have the highest quality of life possible. So if you've been struggling with sleep, give this superfood adaptogen powder, the Organifi Gold, a test drive for a special deal over at wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi. Pick up a 30-day supply, give it a test drive. If you don't like it, you can send it back, but no one's ever done that, (laughs) as far as I've heard. 20% off is the biggest discount you'll find over the entire internet. We're grandfathered in. These savings are for you. Head over to wellnessforce.com forward slash Organifi and use the code wellnessforce. Share this with your friends, your family, and anyone who wants to drink the gold and sleep well. Thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Everything you learned on this podcast starts with your morning practices. So from over 300 world-class guests, we pulled together six simple yet powerful morning practices down into a 21-minute system guaranteed to increase your vibration and the way that you feel every day. Get this free powerful guide over at wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. And if you love this show, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody that you love or that you care about. You can support the show easily by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. Or if you're on your phone, just tap it, hit the link in purple that says review this podcast. And the journey does not stop here. We're continuing this discovering process in our private Facebook group over at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. You can be a part of it. You already are. All you have to do is join us at wellnessforce.com forward slash group, and I will welcome you at the door. Now go out into your life and live your life well. And until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.